1: I've been saying for, you know, months now that altcoins are are likely going to bleed against their Bitcoin valuation for a while because this is what I've seen every bear market, you know, and and some people will take that as a personal attack. (laughs) I'm not against your specific crypto that you're holding. I'm not. It's just these are lessons I learned the hard way. So I would rather just tell you the lessons I've learned so that you can hopefully not experience the same pain I did. Mm
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of My Life in Four Trades. Joining me today is the CEO of the Into the Cryptoverse newsletter and YouTube channel, Benjamin Cohen. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Benjamin. Welcome to My Life in Four Trades.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: So before we jump into your four trades, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? What was young Benjamin Cowan like?
1: Uh, Well, I was always interested in science and mathematics. Um, I went to school. uh, My undergrad was in mathematics, minored in physics. I worked at NASA some during my undergrad, worked in a lot of research labs at at my university. And then I decided I wanted to go to graduate school and ultimately become a staff scientist at the National Lab. Uh, but in order to do that, in order to do you know the research route, I had to, I had to get a PhD. So then I, I went and got a master's and a PhD in nuclear engineering. And I did that. It took me about five years to get that, five years and four months. I defended my dissertation, and I then worked as a postdoc at a National Lab for two years, And and during that time, I I started my own YouTube channel on on cryptocurrencies in 2019. And then I ultimately became a staff scientist. So I I got the dream job (laughs) right around the time that I decided to quit and, um, you know, uh, continue on with my company that I created uh, full time.
2: Well, congratulations on getting that PhD. That is no – in in nuclear science, no less. That is no small D- – so did you pull the um, – what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a nuclear scientist. Did you ever pull that out <laughs> at a party or anything?
1: No, maybe, maybe not that one. I, I think there was when – I, when I did an internship at NASA <laughs> – I, I did an internship at NASA Johnson Space Center in the spring of 2011 – and of course there was always those jokes about it not being rocket science right <laughs> yeah. i i remember we even had like t-shirts made where it said like it's it's just rocket science no big deal right um but never i never pulled the nuclear card no
2: Come on! How could you not? Are you kidding me? I would have, I would have had like a backpack full of back. Yeah. But, but it, it's a testament to how difficult it is, really, and um, and the sort of work ethic it takes to do that. So kudos to you. And we need all those good scientists working hard on some of these problems. So I'm interested. You, we're going to get into that YouTube channel and some of your trades, but all of your trades are in crypto. It's actually the first time we've done this on my life in four trades, uh, so it's it's pretty recent, right? This is a this is a new field, so they're are pretty recent trades, and all of them are in crypto. What attracted you to that space in the first place? You said you sort of were you know working as a scientist, and then when did you first sort of even hear about it, or what piqued your interest about cryptocurrencies?
1: It was back in I think 2011. Um, I, I took because I, I mentioned that I did my undergrad in, in mathematics. Mm-hmm. And uh during one of my electives, we were able to choose various electives for you know for what we actually were interested in. And um, you know, I, I chose several. Uh one was combinatorics, but the other one was cryptography, right? So I I took yeah. a class on cryptography and I mean, they didn't actually talk about Bitcoin in that class. I mean, it was it was specifically related to crypto, you know, like cryptography and mm. and cracking codes and that kind of stuff. But because I took that class, it piqued my interest in cryptocurrency because I, I had heard about Bitcoin, and I don't think I, I probably would have even noticed it had I not been taking a class on on cryptography at the time. Unfortunately, I did not invest uh, in 2011. I mean, I was a relatively poor college student. But that's that's ultimately what led me to, to really start to, to research it and, and to try to figure out how can you couple cryptography and, and money. And, and, you know, this was also not that long after the financial crisis of 2008 when, mm. I, was, when I was in college. I mean, I, I was in high school. I was a senior in high school when all of that really started to unfold and as I went into my freshman year. So it, it was somewhat fresh on my mind. I wasn't an investor back then, but it was still something I saw, you know, people that I knew were affected by it. And, and I was just, you know, sort of thinking like, well, maybe there's a better way. And then, you know, you had cryptography, you had Bitcoin, and, you know, just knowing that there was, uh, you know, there was a limited supply. You know, they, they can't just inflate it away. Um, you have the distributed ledger. It just seemed like the, you know, like the sort of like a a great thing to follow. And and again, for, for a while, I didn't even follow it from an investment perspective. It was more so just from like a, an academic interest in like, what is it? I I don't even think I even thought back then that it would ever go to, you know, be valuable. yeah. That wasn't even like a thing I thought about. It was just like, this is interesting from an academic perspective.
2: That's so interesting because I think especially recently, most people have come to it from the prospect of making money. So it's interesting that your that your, you know, first contact with it was from this sort of different point of view. Was money uh important to you or in your households was was investing something that was discussed or was that sort of outside the types of things that interested you?
1: It was not something that I grew up learning about. So investing was not something that it was something that some of my friends would talk about, but it was mm-hmm. not, and I'm talking about like in high school and 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 middle school and that kind of stuff. It's not something I really grew up learning about that much. So again, it, you know, I I looked at it from a, from an academic perspective. And it actually took me a while to even think about like, oh, you know, like investing in in crypto could actually be lucrative, if in fact it is, it could be as big as I think it could be. But you know that took a while, and I didn't even uh, the, the very first time I bought anything w- was um, it was I think it was also in 2011, but it wasn't it wasn't Bitcoin. It was it was just some random some random stocks. <laughs>
2: So interestingly, let's do your, your first trade. Interestingly, is not a successful one. It stands out to you as one of your worst trades, and that's buying altcoins in a bear market in 2018. So set the scene for us. You know, where are you living? Presumably, you're working as a scientist. But, you know, have you been dabbling in crypto? What's happening in your life at this point?
1: Yeah, so it was actually there was two separate times and and both times I made the same mistake except the second time it wasn't quite as bad. So, it started in 2014 actually. So, 2014 we were in a bear market and I was just throwing everything in, you know, thinking that like, yeah, oh, this is going to be this is going to be the best thing and and all these coins are going to ultimately recover to new all-time highs. But the truth is, a lot of altcoins Will not see new all time highs. It's like one of those cold hard truths that you have to accept. And the evidence for that is just go look at the top ten cryptocurrencies by market cap every year for the last seven years, or you know since since 2013, which we which we have a lot of good data for. A lot of the coins I was buying back then, no one would even know what they are today. Right. You know because they they just haven't they they haven't they they didn't stick around. They just died off. Mm-hmm. No one cares about them anymore. So then I, what I did was I, I just threw all my money into the market before it bottomed. And so by the time it actually bottomed, I didn't have any money left to put in. And then furthermore, a lot of the coins that I put money into never saw all-time highs, even though Bitcoin did. You know, Bitcoin yeah. did. And I mean, I, I, I also, you know, was obviously interested in Bitcoin. But I, I sort of recognized altcoins as, as giving potential higher returns. And they can give higher returns in a bull market. But in bear markets, they can go down 95 98%. And then that, you know, fast forward to 2018.
2: Yeah, so this worst trade is like a double trade. It's if 2014 exactly. was your first one and then 2018. Before you talk about 2018. So at this point, how can we describe your your crypto investing? Is it it's it's not your day job. It's a hobby.
1: I was in grad school.
2: You in grad school. Yeah. So
1: I I graduated I graduated my undergrad in 2012. And I started, I started my, uh, my master's in 2013, and then I graduated with my master's in 2015, and then I graduated with my PhD in 2018.
2: Right. So you're a student working on this. So how much time are you spending kind of in the crypto world? Like, do you feel pretty confident or are you kind of a newbie that's excited?
1: I was still relatively new. Uh, one of the things is I, I didn't have a ton of time to mm-hmm. to spend on it because I, I had just gotten, I, I just started my master's in nuclear engineering. And if you remember, my undergrad was in math. I mean, I minored in physics, so the physics background gave me some like background to the nuclear side. And so I I was actually spending most of my time just trying to get caught up because I was starting a graduate nuclear program without taking an undergrad nuclear program.
2: Right. So this is like crazy hard, like crazy hard. I
1: I remember spending, I spent the summer of 2013 um, basically just trying to get caught up on all the undergraduate nuclear engineering work in in that one summer. So that was, I, I did not have as much time for crypto as I wanted. It was just sort of this thing that was there.
2: So you start buying altcoins. Do you remember do you remember what any of them were called for for any of the like longer term people that have been out there?
1: There was a lot of weird ones. I mean, I don't remember exactly which ones I I know I, I mean, I bought a lot of different ones. There's one um I don't think I bought this one, but I always thought it was hilarious. It was called BBQ coin. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was number Yeah, 2013 was a simpler time in the cryptoverse. Yeah. Um, you had you had other coins like World Coin, Made Safe Coin, there, there were a lot of like really random ones, and I, I can't even remember all their names because they basically all just went to zero. The the ones that existed back then, most of them just went to zero. So it was sort of like I almost blocked out uh, <laughs> part of that because like you know they they never amounted to anything, and it, it sort of yeah. it sort of to some degree it almost like tainted my my view for a little while of crypto because I yeah. I thought I'm like okay well I thought this was you know the the, the next best thing. And, and what it really taught me, though, is that Bitcoin is is the one that keeps going higher and altcoins sort of come and go. Uh, and then some of them, some of them will stand the test of time, right? Like some altcoins uh, do stick around, but the, the hard part is knowing which ones those are going to be. And even ones that are in the top 10 today are, there's probably a, several that will not be in the top 10 in five years. And there's going to be a likely a lot of cryptocurrencies in the top 10. 10 and five years from now that don't even exist today. No. So yeah, it's sort of sort of what I one of the one of the lessons I learned the hard way back then.
2: So after you feel tainted, you could have easily just said, you know, listen, I mean, you're a you're a like science logical guy, right? You're you're kind of steeped in this world of discipline. You could have been like, This is this is a sham. I'm not gonna, <laughs> you know, after you got burned in 2014, why'd you go back in 2018 and do the same trade again as part of your first trade?
1: So I learned I, I learned some lessons. So the main the main issue with 2014 was that like I, I didn't focus on Bitcoin enough and mm-hmm. and I started buying way too soon. Like I just kept you know, like just way too soon. And everything just dropped like 98% or something. In 2018, I got a bit better. Okay. So like I, I focused more on Bitcoin. And when I did start buying altcoins, I, I started in, I, I think it was September or October. So I was able to wait through about half of the bear market, and I thought I was like, I was like, all oh, right, I'm so smart. I'm gonna like, you know, I'm gonna come in and buy everything. Everything's already 85 percent down. Surely it can't go that much lower, you know. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna load up on Bitcoin at 6k, load up at, at, at on Ethereum at around five, six hundred bucks. Uh, load up on Cardano at, at I believe it was like around 10 cents, maybe even slightly higher, and. I thought I thought I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be buying the bottom. And then in November, the floor fell out, right? And then Bitcoin dropped 50%. Ethereum and Cardano dropped another 80% each, I believe. I think Cardano ended up dropping another 90% or something from where I started buying it. And I mean, of course, today those prices seem attractive. Like they're they're mm-hmm. good prices if you if you fast forward many years. But at the time, I was like. Wow, the same thing happened again. Now, fortunately, I I, I was smart in the sense that I, I saved some cash. Um, mm. yeah, I didn't just go all in like in 2014. So then, when when the bottom did come, I still had money to to, to put in. But it was sort of like learning the lesson the hard way. And I, I kept remember like I kept thinking, um, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me.
2: So or when you're when you're making that decision, because this is this is really traditional, like sizing your risk and timing, right? They're the two of the hardest things when you're investing. Did you feel like you were making a really sort of rational decision that you'd modeled out in 2018, that second time you got burned? Or were you kind of riding on emotion or your gut feeling that, oh, this is the bottom. I'm gonna, I don't want to miss this opportunity. What what was like what was fueling your thought process?
1: Yeah, well, because I, I'd seen enough of the cycles. So I, I was like, okay, I've seen this before. You know, we had something in 2014. It's just a boom and bust cycle. It's just likely going to be another cycle to go higher. I just, I got too comfortable, I think, with it being at 6K. And I think the longer it sits at a certain price, you sort of become normalized to it. And you think, all right, well, this is the fair value. If everyone, you know, if, it, if the buyers and the sellers are just hanging out at 6K, then you know, I I thought it I thought it was a good thing. I mean, back in 2014, 2015, I didn't know that Bitcoin was going to go higher. I mean, I remember thinking like this thing could just go to zero for all I know. Uh, and then it went up. I mean, it went up hundred x over the next two years. But so by twenty eighteen, I, I I was acting a bit more deterministically. I'm like, okay, well, Bitcoin will trend higher with time. Like that's what it's going to do. It's just a matter of figuring out when the bottom is. And so, yeah, I just decided to come in and 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 keep buying. Basically because I just sort of see it as the, the the process of Bitcoin being capitalized and 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 reaching whatever ultimately its fair value is going to be and, and it going through various boom and bust cycles. So I just I thought 6K was a good price. I ended up being off by about 50% at the time.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com.
2: And so your second trade is one of your best, and that's investing heavily in what you call blue chip coins during a bear market in 2019. So like you are you are now like somebody who's really active in bear markets you're not put off how did you yeah. keep coming back why didn't you throw in the towel and why did you give it another go yet again
1: yeah so because i i, I actually saved some cash and that was the reason why i was uh, i was like when when the floor finally did fall out all my investments were down another 50 to 80% but i, I still actually had money this time which was un, unlike you know 2015 so then i i remember looking at the market and being like well i mean according to a lot of indicators it feels like it feels like you know we're down about as much as we were last cycle before we ultimately trended higher. And then I, I created various indicators uh, like logarithmic regression curves, risk levels on on some of the different cryptocurrencies, and it looked like we were we were near a bottom. Like it, it seemed like we were just in an accumulation phase heading towards another another mania phase eventually. But I didn't know when it would occur. And in fact, I thought it was going to take another year for the parabolic rally to happen, at least. I, I thought, I, I didn't think we would see that rally for another 12 months or so. But I went ahead and started, I, I started buying. Mainly what I bought back then was I, I bought Bitcoin um, and Ethereum. And I actually have videos on my channel where I call it Ethereum, the accumulation phase of a lifetime. And it was when I was trading for $200. And... I just kept saying, like, look, guys, there's some downside risk here. Yeah, like, it could dump back to $100, but the upside is 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 quite substantial. And I remember looking at these, like, regression curves, and there were, like, four of them. And the, the most conservative was, like, a $4,000 Ether. And by the time—I mean, this was when it was at $200. I mean, this was, in a you know, an insane ROI to, to, for a $4,000 Ether. And then the next one was, like, a $9,000 Ether. So I just kept thinking, you know, if— if these estimates are even remotely correct, you know, even if they're not perfect, uh, this would be a great investment, okay? And and then, so those are the blue chips, Bitcoin and ETH. And then I was like, all right, well, I want at least one altcoin uh, that's higher risk that will play to hedge against Ethereum, right? And I, and I actually made a lot of videos on Cardano back in 2019. And I said, look, guys— you know, the, the Ethereum gas fees are going to be insane this cycle too because they're not fixing it yet. I mean, the the gas fees, are they're going to be there again, just like they were in 2018. You need a hedge because the narrative will play out the same way. There'll be people looking for a hedge against ETH. And the reason is because who wants to spend a $100 to just send a transaction? Like, no one wants to do that. So find a hedge. And, and therefore, I, I chose Cardano. And then I picked up a couple more uh, the following year.
2: You sound like it, it makes sense and that you feel really confident in these models that you've made. Did you see this as a risky bet? Because this is your cash now. If you lose this, there's you're kind of out of powder again.
1: Yeah, I did see it as a risky bet because, again, I was a grad student. I didn't, I mean, I, you know, I, mm. I of course, I've I've made money in crypto. But if you start with a little money, I mean, it can turn into more money. But it's not like I was throwing in like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into crypto when I was a grad student, you know. Um, uh, my my salary was not, that, was not that much. So yeah, I mean, like, I, I knew it was risky. And I sort of just treated it as money I would never see again. Like, I, in my mind, it was just money that I w- might never get back. And I was okay with that. And I, I remember just thinking, like, you know, I'm going to be okay with this if if it just goes to zero, I don't think it will. I mean, I was very convicted that it wouldn't. So much to start the you know st- start the YouTube channel and talk about it. Um, but that was one of the ways I, I sort of rationalized it. Was I only put in what I really felt like I could afford not to get back? Right. If I, I felt like right. I could afford to lose. I mean, the truth is, is no one really wants to lose anything. You know, you know. I mean, it's not <laughs> like it's, anyone's going to be okay with it. But it was money that I didn't need to at least live on. You know. So yeah. it was just it was like surplus money. That that I had to 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 put into the market. so
2: so talk to me about the decision to put it on YouTube. So it's one thing to feel that conviction and buy it for yourself, but you were recommending it to others as well. what What prompted you to do that?
1: Yeah, so one of the reasons was because like i I personally got wrecked so badly in in the prior bear markets, and I wanted people to sort of recognize where we were, where I thought we were anyways, within the market cycle. And I, I wanted people to recognize that the opportunity that was coming, or at least that I thought was coming. And I was—I figured that the only way that I can really tell people, other than the people that I know around me in real life, is to make a YouTube channel. Um, so I decided to create a YouTube channel um, I was actually on a trip at the time and I, I made my, you know, I made one of my first videos in a in a hotel room. And I, you know, I stumbled all over my words. I didn't really know what I was saying. Um, but it was just uh, you know, it was just to get something out and and to say, look, this is where we are. And and some of my first videos were, you know, were talking about Ether and, and Bitcoin and, and talking about this is the momentum shift that's going to take the Ethereum Bitcoin valuation much higher. I think that's like my first video on on YouTube. And it was when the valuation of Ether against Bitcoin was less than 0.02. And today it's, you know, almost 0.07. So it's gone up a lot since then. So I... I wanted people to recognize that there was likely a bull market coming in crypto, in risk-on assets in general, but specifically cryptocurrency. And I saw it as a good risk-reward play. So, you know, people always talk about what what the reward is. You always have to consider what the risk is, too. And I I always say it's not about your returns. It's about your risk-adjusted returns. What risk are you willing to take? Mm -hmm. And back then in 2019, I I have, you know, I just made a lot of videos saying out of every asset class— Crypto provides the best risk adjusted returns right now, right? And I, I in order to tell people that I had to I had to make a YouTube channel so that I could I could start talking about it.
2: Um it's very brave of you. Uh as somebody who's uh who's been public uh, from time to time as well. It's it's not always easy. So did you feel like I'm putting this message out into the universe, hopefully it lands someplace, or were you kind of checking how many views it had and you know if it was yeah. being received?
1: <laughs> you know, it it. it my my videos early on didn't really do that well. I mean, it it took me it took me 6 months to get 500 subscribers. So, did you, know, you care
2: or, about that? Did you care?
1: Not not initially, no, because I I wasn't even making videos every day for a while. It was just like every 2 weeks or something. I didn't really cuz I, I was focused on other things. I mean, I, I was doing a postdoc in in um equation of state modeling, which was different than my PhD, which was which was in molecular dynamics. So, I didn't have much time. To, to even think about it. I, I was just focused on my my day job at the time. So yeah, I, I didn't really have much time. And, and by the way, at first it did not go that well because I, I was talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then, you, I mean, everyone remembers what happened in March of 2020. I mean, everything went down, you know? And so then I, I really had to, Sort of double down to some degree to say, like, look, I know it looks bleak, but we'll come out of it, and and um, we should ultimately trend higher. So, but at first, at first, it felt like I took a big risk, and it didn't pay off. And then it, and yeah. then it very much paid off right after that.
2: Did the success of the trade, like, what was your takeaway from the success of that trade? What do you think you learned from that?
1: I think one of the things that I learned is a number of things. First of all, you know, if you're patient throughout the bear market and you don't just pour all of your money into altcoins while Bitcoin is going down, then it actually allows you to have more money to buy when we reach what I would consider to be, say, like the accumulation phase before the next bull run. So... The reason I did so much better in the last bull market was because I had actually saved some money to put into these projects once we got to the bottom. I didn't just throw it all in while things were trending down. So then, when the bull market played out, I can basically measure my ROI from the bottom because I, I bought a lot of my coins like at the actual bottom or within. Within a few percent. I mean, you know, I just dollar cost average, right? So you're not going to get everything at the bottom, but if you just buy, if you just buy Bitcoin weekly, you know, once it's a certain percent down or after a certain period after the all time high, you're bound to at least get some of your buys close to the bottom. So you know, I learned to just be patient um, with with taking the trade, and then once you take the trade, you have to recognize that in the accumulation phase there can be very violent swings in the price. And, and that's also something that our people are not always prepared for, is they think of an accumulation phase as something that just sort of goes sideways. But really, you know, to give you an example, I started buying Cardano at, at 13 cents back in late 2018. And then I, I, I bought it at 2 cents in december of 2018 after the capitulation i watched it go to 10 cents so it went up 5x from my my most recent buy and then it dropped down to less than 2 cents again like it dropped another 80% even during the accumulation phase and of course when you when it's trading for you know a dollar or two like it was not that long ago you look back and it just seems so obvious it doesn't matter if you bought it at 2 cents it doesn't matter if you bought it at 10 cents it just seems so obvious but back then it it didn't always seem so obvious i mean it was like I just put money into this thing. It's down another eighty percent again. So I, I think to just, just recognize you have to be patient and you have to you have to live out some of those swings.
2: How does the the scientist in you deal with that volatility? Because I always think of scientists as being, I mean, you know, you work toward proving something right. It's methodical. It's you know, uh, how do you how do you deal with this sort of what seemingly irrational moves that happen in a space like this?
1: Yeah, so I, I think a lot of it can just be equated to something um, called geometric Brownian motion, which is essentially just like a random walk. Like, we don't, we have no idea what prices are going to do in the short term. You know, like, uh, I could come up here with with 100 different models and, and try, to, try to, you know, convince someone that the price is going to go up or down tomorrow, but no one really knows. And there's actually some... There's actually some, like, peace, I think, knowing that no one really knows. And the longer you're here, the more you'll realize that, you know, everyone gets things wrong all the time. Uh, it's not about really being right or wrong. It's just when you are right, hopefully you get it really right. And when you're wrong, hopefully you minimize your losses so you're not really wrong, right? So I, I remember just thinking, like, it's just random, Right, you you can't you can't really fully understand the volatility and and why the price moves the way it does. It's irrational. Markets are very irrational, not only during mania phases but also during during the, the bottoms of bear markets. So you know, I, I looked at these projects and I, I thought you know, I, I thought Bitcoin should be more than 4K, Ethereum should be more than 200 bucks, and Cardano should be more than two cents. And I, I was like, this doesn't make sense from a fundamental perspective. I don't understand why they're not more valuable uh, than they were. Uh, and I just sort of rationalized it to myself as thinking that markets are just irrational, and um, and then eventually, once they become a bit more rational, it'll become more obvious to people, and then they'll get irrational again, but in the opposite direction then to the upside. Um, And then we'll sort of it's a brutal cycle.
2: (laughs) That takes us to your third trade, which is another one that ranks among your worst XRP in 2020. So what's happening around this time? And again, these are pretty short periods in between these trades. But it's interesting to see that you have a framework now for understanding the sort of irrational nature of the market but what attracted you to XRP? Because you must be feeling like you've kind of slightly figured this out by now.
1: Yeah, so XRP, I mean, I I did really well with XRP in 2017. It was actually one of the best performing coins back then. You know, XRP is not a coin that a lot of people like. I mean, a lot of people are have problems with it because of how centralized it is. And, and for me, I didn't really care. All I cared about was I made a lot of money on this before. I've seen what it can do. You know, I've seen the valuation against Bitcoin and Ether. And it looked like it was nearing a bottom. Right. It looked like it was near a bottom. And, you know, I took a trade on it. It was a relatively small trade, but a, a trade nonetheless. And this is why I say, you know, not all of your picks are going to win. And what happened? About one week after I bought XRP, I think it might not even have been one week. It was just like a few days later. The SEC came out and said they were suing Ripple. And the price dropped like 50% immediately, like immediately, right after I bought it. And and the reason why it was so painful was because I had already waited so long to buy it in the first place. Like I already waited, you know, years to buy it from all the way from early 2018 until late 2020 to, to, to really buy it in the first place. And, and then to buy it and then watch it drop 50% a week later when a lot of other things weren't dropping nearly that bad mm. was hard to watch. And then furthermore, um, it, it got worse because then you know crypto went on this crazy bull run uh, that lasted for, for for quite a long period of time. And, and XRP didn't really do much. I mean, it, it did okay in various phases, but it was one of the few coins... Um, at least the one out of all the ones people would recognize that that was unable to put in a new all-time high you know if you think about it it did not put in a new all-time high in the last bull market even though bitcoin did even though ethereum and cardano did um, so many coins did but xrp was not one of them and then furthermore i wasn't even able to really cut my losses because it was suspended on all the exchanges that i used mm. to trade it so you know, is it something that I probably could have traded if I just gone to some other exchange? Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that it was completely unable for me to do it, but it was just one of those things where I, I took the trade because I thought the indicators made sense that it was near a bottom. And it just goes to show there's never a sure thing. I mean, if the SEC comes out and and does something like that, you know, these are just black swan events that you can't you can't plan for, you can't hope to know ahead of time. And if it happens, it happens, and you cut your losses and and try to just move on from it.
2: Hmm. And at this point, there's a public aspect to getting things wrong too, because you have this YouTube channel that you're posting stuff on. Does that complicate how you feel about it?
1: Yeah, it does, because I certainly do get things wrong sometimes, and I, you know, I don't really shy away from admitting when I'm wrong. Like I, I've been wrong, you know, multiple times over the years. Like I, I have, and I recognize that. Uh, so it, it does sort of make me a little bit more cautious on what I say. In 2019, when I was making videos, no one was really watching, so I could say whatever I wanted, and and no one would even remember it a week later. Now, if I say anything, it's in articles the next day, you know, Mm. and I I see it being quoted, and, and sometimes it's even misquoted or they take it out of context right they they like i might i might talk about a couple scenarios and they they take it as like what i think is going to happen when rather i'm really i'm just trying to look at the risk associated with a specific trade and not saying it has to play out but that you know you need to understand the risk involved and so i have to i have to be a lot more careful with what i say uh, now than i used to be and it's also one of the reasons i don't talk about microcaps you know i i don't any any coin that has a market cap of less than one billion. I won't even talk about because I don't want to influence the market in any way. And I'm I'm always afraid that if you talk about really small coins, uh, that it, you know it might influence some things. And I, I just sure. try to stay away as stay away as far as as far as I can from that.
2: Mm. You seem very sort of um, you know like your science background helps you in this because you're very measured and you think about, you know, the risk versus reward. And, but there are a lot of people in the community that are really driven by passion, especially when you're talking about some of these micro coins and, you know, projects that they really believe in. How do you find the experience of dealing with the community? Have you found a lot of sort of comfort and camaraderie in that? Or do you feel that people are very tribal?
1: Both. So, I do find community in it. Um, I think I find the most community from people who sort of joined longer ago because they were able to experience the the actual move up. It is sometimes harder relating to people that only joined you know my communities and the community around me later in the in the cycle because all they've experienced so far are losses in crypto. And so they have a completely different outlook on on the market. And they're kind of experiencing what I experienced in prior bear markets, you know, like they're learning those lessons now, but they don't always understand where, you know, they don't always see it in the same way that I do. So there can sometimes be tribalism around some of these altcoins, um, because I, I'll i go, I mean, I've been saying for, you know, months now that altcoins are, are likely going to bleed against their Bitcoin valuation for a while, because I, this is what I've seen every bear market, you know, and and some people will Take that as a personal attack on on what you know mm-hmm. their where their investments are, and I, and I'm just I'm just like look I'm not I'm not against your specific crypto that you're holding I'm not it's just these are lessons I learned the hard way more than once right more than once I've learned these lessons the hard way so I would rather just tell you the lessons I've learned so that you can hopefully not experience the same pain I did um, but regardless it, a lot of there are a lot of people that that can get tribal about it and. Um, you know, take offense to 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 saying something might go down. You know, and yeah. and that's the hard part of talking about some of these cryptocurrencies is because if you promote them in 2019 like I did, at some point you have to become bearish because markets are sometimes bullish and they're sometimes bearish. So the people that once liked you because you were bullish on the same asset they were bullish on, they don't like you anymore because now you're bearish. But if you <laughs> stick to the data, at some point you have to become bearish. Otherwise, you're not really doing yourself or the fans that watch you any favors by just always remaining bullish. So it is it is a hard thing to navigate sometimes.
2: Yeah. Did, do you ever feel take it personally?
1: I've gotten better about it. Um, I, I I used to take it personally more. I would be lying to say it never affects me. Like it certainly it sometimes does. I also think that for every one bad comment, there's usually like a hundred good ones. But as humans, we just focus on the bad stuff because like that that's true? what we'll remember. So, like you know, occasionally I'll, I'll I'll go through the comments, and and I'll I'll usually see a lot of good comments, and yeah, like occasionally you'll see those those bad comments of of people saying stuff um, that's not so nice. And, and sometimes I do take it personally, but I, I think one of the things I have slowly been growing some uh, thicker skin <laughs> uh, the longer that I've been doing this. I, I think a lot of people just sort of look on YouTube and think that, you know, you've just been doing this forever when actually in reality, I just started this, you know, not that long ago and it just sort of blew up really quickly. And then before I knew it, I went from 500 subscribers to 700,000 subscribers.
0: You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
2: Which is actually your fourth trade, your fourth and final trade is. You're saying now one of your best. We'll check back in with you in a couple of years. But trading your career as a scientist for doing crypto quant analysis um, and having your YouTube presence um, in sort of late 2020, early 2021, right? Sort of getting a taste of what that was like, especially with the experiences through the bear market. Did you ever have, did you agonize over that decision? Do you think, gosh, I worked so hard to get that dream job. Do I really want to toss it all away?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really hard. I I did my PhD, I mean, I undergrad many years, internships, work at labs to help me get into grad school. I got into grad school, I, I worked really hard. I did my, you know, I, I published like 10 papers when I was in grad school, 10 peer reviewed papers on on molecular dynamics simulations of materials like of ceramics under, under radiation damage, experiencing radiation damage. And then also did experimental work on on transmission electron microscopy and in situ radiation damage on those ceramics. So comparing the simulations to the experiments,
2: uh, you, you realize Ben, most of us like lost you about fifteen words ago. Like these are so you don't have to explain them. But I think it's it's like first of all peer reviewed for anyone who hasn't done it is extremely difficult to publish peer reviewed work, and then to do it at the level you were doing in science is, I mean that's that's a lot. It's incredible. It's a lot.
1: Yeah. so, I mean, I, you know I, I was able to work really hard in grad school to get the postdoc, right? I mean, it's hard to even get a postdoc at a national lab. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I even traveled to the National Labs a lot while I was a grad student because I had to use some of their facilities to carry out some of my research that I was doing, because I mean, you didn't we didn't have that those facilities at the university. They're really expensive facilities. So, you know, I did my postdoc for a couple years. And I published again at my postdoc in the in the new field that I was in, um, um, equation of state modeling of materials under extreme conditions, and I finally got converted to a staff scientist, which was my goal. Like that was my goal. That was was what I was trying to get to. And then at that time, you know, this was uh, late 2020. Uh, uh, late 2020 came, and. Then my wife actually, you know, she, she at the time she was pregnant and she gave birth in October. And yeah. so I took paternity leave. I was able to take paternity leave. And is this is during time, the
2: pandemic. This is this during, is during, the, during pandemic. the
1: pandemic. Yeah, this is during the pandemic. So I took paternity leave. So I wasn't even thinking about my uh, my job at the, the lab that much at the time because I was just so focused on um, the new child. Right. Yeah. And it time it, it came time for me to go back to you know to do it, and I, I started to go back, and I realized that I could not do both. I could not do the company and do like do my own company and do the the the, the job. That I that my day job as well, because up until that point, I would I would do one during the day, and then I would I would do the lab during the day, and then at night I would come home and work on my own company, right? But by that point, I I reached the the level where I, I was having so many people message me and and, and ask me questions and all those other things that I I did not have time to do a good job at the lab and at my own company. So I had to pick. I had to figure out which one I was going to give up. And, and they knew I had a company. I mean, I, I had to disclose to them while I was at the lab that I had a company, so they knew I had one. So then when it came time, I'm like, look, my company has really uh, exploded because financial markets have exploded and I just simply do not have time to do um, to do this research anymore. And it was hard. I mean, I remember you know, my last day, I left my office and I just kind of like stared at my desk <laughs> for like five minutes. So I'm like, is this really the right decision? Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I worked for for the last ten years to get to, and now I'm just sort of, you know, giving it up. And I mean, I'm glad I did because it, it really allowed me to focus on my company and um, and to build it and to, to build out tools that people can use. And then, furthermore, I also went to a talk at one point when I was at the labs that helped seal the deal for me. And they in the talk they said it was about it was about entrepreneurship and that. If you want to start a company, the best time to do it is when you're young, because you have mm. plenty of time to recover and do something else if it doesn't go well. Um, and and there was one person there that, you know, he said his biggest regret was not starting a company earlier. And I, I just figured, you know what, I have an idea, I should run with it. And if it doesn't work, I can always return. I mean, like, you know, I still have... A PhD. I still did a postdoc. I still was a staff scientist at a national lab. So theoretically, I could always return to academia if I wanted to, but I, I don't really have any plans on ever returning.
2: So did you, oh, that's, it's, it's an amazing, and when you're, you know, you're, I'm thinking about you sitting in that office, staring at the desk. You weren't just staring at the desk. You were sort of staring at your dream, right? I mean, right. The, the dream that you'd had for so long, it's going to be an incredibly difficult decision to make. Did you have any idea that you had that sort of entrepreneurial bug inside of you? Is that something you'd considered?
1: No. And actually, even today, I sometimes struggle with it. I was an academic, you know, and um, I I didn't really know, like, the first thing about starting a business. I had no idea. And, And for a while, I was just not even, I didn't even have my own business. I was just putting stuff out. I, you know, I wasn't actually making any money by putting out these videos, like those videos in 2019. They're not monetized in any way. So, you know, I I just remember, at least not until the very end. And I I just remember thinking, you know, this is, this is something that I'm not sure exactly, you know, how it's going to go. I I really wasn't sure how it it would ultimately um, end up, I guess. But Looking back on on all of it, I I can't help but think it it sort of it sort of happened perfectly because I was able to start the company in somewhat of a risk-free way because I still did it while I was at the job and I waited for it to blow up and then I quit and and then and then the rest is history.
2: <laughs> yeah, bootstrapping it while you have a job, it's it's really really hard, but it does give you a little stability. Did you did you worry about leaving the security of of that kind of um you know, working in a national lab and, and in a science field, especially as a new dad with a family to support. Yeah.
1: And that wasn't even my first kid. That was my third kid.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you have a family of three. You've got a, you've got a punt on.
1: My first kid was actually born when I was in graduate school. So that was, that was, yeah, that was our third kid. And so it was nerve-wracking because I kept, you know, I, I didn't know. I mean, like, I had a pretty nice job at a national lab that I could theoretically work at for the next 40 years, yeah. um, have a nice salary, have good benefits, you know, have good work-life balance. Like, national labs are really great places to work uh, because they generally do have a great work, work-life work balance at them. And, yeah, like, I, I didn't r- really know what I was getting myself into, and, look, I, I, it worked out, but I, I remember thinking like, well, if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to find another job. And then I'm going to have to explain, you know, like what happened? Like, why would I, cre- why did I quit my staff scientist job after only four months? Like that that would probably not look that great on your resume to to start a staff scientist position after your postdoc and then quit it four months later.
2: So in this sort of Short time, you've experienced an awful lot in this very new asset class, and I know it feels like you're a veteran. I'm laughing as I'm imagining what you know, sort of traders. You've been in traditional finance for 40 years, or something, would would think, but it seems like such a short time. But there have been an awful, an awful lot of, as you say, up and down cycles and booms and busts. What's your advice to others who are looking to get involved in crypto or sort of earlier on in their crypto journey um, and are feeling you know, really confused about how to think about this or sort of worried about the issues we talked about, risk and timing, what What would your advice to them be?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I would probably just say to first look back at everything that's happened in crypto, and you can kind of pinpoint exactly where we are. Like, we've been in this exact situation at least three times before. And we always came out of it the other side. Like, we always came out the other side and ultimately crypto experienced another bull run. So I am, I mean, you know, like 2019, I am convinced that we will eventually have another bull run. But some of the advice that I would give is to not just throw all of your money into the market uh, just because things are down. Sometimes you need to sort of space things out and and not rush in too quickly because we know how, how bad altcoins can go down. Uh, but also to remember that, not all altcoins will see new all-time highs, right? Bitcoin is a blue chip. I think Ethereum could be argued a blue chip as well. So, you know, you really want to make sure you you get, I would say it's important in terms of managing your risk, even from a quantitative perspective. And you look at like modern portfolio theory and investing with, with that, the blue chips come first before anything else, really before anything else. And a lot of altcoins will just bleed against those blue chips for months to come anyways. So I would say, you know, try to try to get the core first of the asset class like make sure you have that before you venture too far out and also don't don't just feel like you have to rush in you know i mean these market cycles take years to play out right they don't just you know you're not just going to then shoot up to a new all-time high tomorrow so you have plenty of time to figure out what your strategy is what you want to do how you want to navigate the cryptoverse and then the last piece of advice on it is if you're an entrepreneur this is the time to build you know like if you have an idea this is the time like the bear market is when you build and it actually helps distract you from from the bear market. You know, if you can actually build a product because one thing I've said many times is that, you know, bear markets is where innovation comes from. Like people are forced to innovate, but in bull markets people just chase trends. So the people that are building businesses now, they will have many copycats in the next bull market, but the people that build them now will have a huge head start, a huge head start. So if you're an entrepreneur with an idea, I would say this is the time to be building so that you have your product ready for the next for the next cryptocurrency bull run.
2: That is great perspective, Ben. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. I just want to ask you before we go, I'm sort of just, you've got such a sort of way of of thinking about this from a really kind of practical way. I wouldn't say it's scientific, it's a really practical way. Do you think that mental fitness is important Part of this important aspect of investing and kind of managing these turbulent times.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um it's really hard if you get into a dilemma where you're constantly trading on your emotions. And it's happened to me before as well. And it still sometimes can can happen, especially if you take a trade and it goes the opposite direction, like the XRP trade I, I mentioned earlier, you know, like it can take a toll on you. Um but I think the longer you're in it, you sort of just r- remember that you're not going to get everything right. And sometimes you just have to cut your losses and move on and, and recognize that you're not going to be perfect on it. And you just have to learn the lesson the hard way, move on and and, and focus on something else. And, and look, it affects me too, even recently. To give you a real-world example, like this is a really real-world example that just happened to me. Uh, I, you know, in, in in January, February, and March, I was I was basically just saying like you know people need to be stacking cash right now like not not putting all their money into altcoins because this you know we're in a bear market and then in March crypto went back up for a while you know I mean bitcoin was putting in higher lows and altcoins were doing well I was looking at my my chess rating my 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 chess rating went through a bear market <laughs> during that time <laughs> because I I couldn't focus because I you know I, a lot of people were sort of <laughs> Like, you know, stacking cash instead of um, buying altcoins and altcoins are going up. Now, fortunately, the market came back down again. And so now that the stacking cash strategy has, in fact, has been standing the test of time so far. Um, but it, it can affect you. And um, you just have to you, you sort of just have to power through those times. And um Try to try to stay true to to really what you see the whole the whole market doing. Like it was hard on me. It was hard for me to see it happen, but I was still convinced that like mm-hmm. the strategy was right, so I stuck with it. But it, it can affect you. I mean, it can it can certainly affect your 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 mental um your, your mental state for sure. And this is how people get sort of trapped in in you know selling bottoms and then buying at tops mm-hmm. in a bear market and and going all the way down. So so try not to do that.
2: Ben, thank you so much. You're just fantastic. Thank you for being on My Life in Four Trades. Thanks for having me. All right, that's a wrap on this week's edition of My Life in Four Trades. For more on the series, visit realvision.com forward slash my life in four trades. Make sure to use the numeral four. This podcast is a production of Real Vision. Our executive producer is Lisa Desai. Our producers are Frank Fowler and Michelle Ribeiro. Our sound engineer is Levi Mercurio. Our production assistant is Ranjani Vankarakrishnan. And this show is hosted by me, Maggie Lake.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads.